Growing a business is hard, but it does not have to be. Once a week, we take a break from the hustle and bustle in business to talk about innovations and what's new in the C-suite. This is the Fractional C-Suite Retreat, and I'm Joseph Frost. Pull up a seat at the fire, grab a drink, smoke a cigar, and just join me as we relax, learn, and get inspired. This retreat is sponsored by Your CMO, helping organizations grow with better marketing strategy. Today's guest mixes his strong family values with growth and profitability. He's a passionate startup leader and is founder and CEO at manufacturingpower.com. Mike Franz, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Joseph. I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm doing great. Good. So I'm excited to talk to you. It's always good to hear a good startup story because, gosh, every day is different, right? <laughs> the roller coaster ride. You couldn't be more right. Thank you for having me. Yeah, very good. Glad to. And uh, we'll get into a lot of topics. But the, the question I'd like to ask first uh, to start the show off is, um, is there an opportunity that you see that you think maybe other C-suite executives uh, should know about or business owners should be thinking about? Well, just you mentioned it. I'm a, I'm a startup guy. And one thing that at, with not a lot of experience in the C-suite, to be quite honest with you, and one thing that I would offer as based on personal experience for other startup founders that are find themselves as in a leadership position in a, in a growing and upcoming company, making traction, hopefully, and finding their way is it is a roller coaster ride. And I tell myself kind of my mantra is, I have to keep moving forward, no matter what it is. Every day I have to keep moving forward because you can get stuck in some pretty low spots and some pretty high spots, but keep moving forward. And in the industry that we're in and we focus on, my company specifically, um, it's a SaaS, we have a SaaS-based company that is focused on helping small to mid-sized manufacturing companies. And one of the things that moving forward relates to in that industry is there's a lot of opportunity for those types of companies to really take advantage of technology that's out there that is not focused on their primary goals and making parts. I mean, they know everything about making parts, but there's other areas of their business that they could utilize tech to really help improve their business. And there's you know, some generational things that are happening. A lot of the old time business leaders are, uh, they have succession plans where a new breed of, of ownership is coming into the market. And there's a lot of opportunity for them to move forward with uh, tech and other parts of their business. So I don't know if that really answered your question, but that's kind of a mantra of mine is to always keep moving forward. Yeah. Well, I know it's, a, it's a great mantra and it's, it is so real in the uh, startup stages of, uh, of, uh, of life. You're, you're up and up and down quite a bit. What are some of the ways that you try to stay up and you know, not just move forward? <laughs> how do you, how do you stay up? <laughs> yeah. A lot of caffeine. <laughs> Sugar free yeah. Red Bull. No. Uh, <laughs> how do I stay up? Um, you know, that's a, that's a good question. There's um, we're, we're doing a podcast right now and there's, there's a lot of things that you need to do to, I need to do to stay motivated. And that's one of the great things about 
participating in this startup is that I'm learning something new every day. It is a lot to go from, I, I went from a you know Fortune 200 company, a, a mid-level person at a Fortune 200 company, uh, mid-level, maybe mid-level, I'll say mid-level. Anyway, to starting my own business and having to learn so many different things. And I learned stuff, it's been four years and I've, I learned new things every single day and learning from other people. There's so many other people that know a million times more things than I do and tapping into their knowledge and understanding that it's okay to ask for help and that it's people are willing to help. Um, that's, that's a big, that's a big portion of staying up is trying to learn something, um, understanding, you know, a lot of uh, just simply, you know, little tiny things as far as, um, as far as, you know, just an example, I'll give you, a, I'll give you just a real quick example. We were talking about it in the pre-discussion, but my computer went down. Okay. So not only do I have to understand how to get it fixed, but understand all the programs that need to be put back into it. And, you know, it's just tackling different tasks and staying organized and on task as far as what um, is a priority for that particular day. And just, again, moving forward. So what was it that motivates you to get yourself into this situation you're in now as an entrepreneur? <laughs> situation. <laughs> why, did you, why did you leave and get into this mess uh, that is entrepreneurship that I'm in and, and I love, but it is, it is a unique experience if you've never been. What, yeah. what motivated you and what, what keeps you going? I mean, the motivation, the, the motivation was, well, I got laid off, okay? So that was, uh, you know, full transparency. I got laid off at a time when there was some restructuring going on at the company that I'd worked for. And I had, prior to that, I had an idea and, you know, I thought it was a perfect time in my life to try to execute on it. And there was not going to be a better time. I mean, personally, financially, all those things kind of lined up for, for me to take that jump or that leap of faith or risk, however you want to, you want to say it. But um, yeah, it was, and the motivation was, I really thought that I could help um, an industry that where I saw there was a gap. So it's been a, you know, that was, that was the motivation and, you know, having the, having the belief in the, in the concept and the idea, not knowing exactly what it would take, but, um, you know, being a bit of a risk taker, I guess, was was something that I was, had always kind of dreamt with. I always kind of followed the straight path and the straight and narrow and did the things I was supposed to do. And then, you know, that opportunity came around. I'll say opportunity when I got laid off. The opportunity to, to try something new and jump outside the box was, was pretty exciting for me. Yeah, we see that as an interesting pivot point for fractional professionals. A lot of people get laid off are trying to decide, do I try find a new job or do I take this opportunity to start my practice? And it's a good opportunity from a, from a, uh, from, a, from that lens of what can I do next? It's, it has, it can be a very positive thing. Um, so this, this gap that you saw in the industry, um, did you decide to bootstrap your way through it or do you go out and raise money or a little of both? Tell me, uh, 
kind of tell me your journey. Yeah. So, well, just if, if you don't mind, to your point about fractional folks as well, that was one of the first groups that I ever, that I joined when I was laid off was a group that was focused on fractional um, workers and people that were trying to find, not necessarily C-suite people, but um, it was a group and they were super motivating. Now, I digress. <laughs> but uh, the, qu the question around, you know, did I bootstrap? And yeah, I mean, it was, um, I didn't know anything about raising money. I didn't know anything about, <laughs> I had no idea about venture capital. I had no idea if I could go get a bank loan or I mean, I had some ideas around it, but knowing the ins and outs of it was something that I had to learn. But yeah, I've been pretty fortunate. I was able to, um, through friends and family, raise money um, and then bootstrap the rest on my own. Um, so that's been that's been good. Now, there's going to be some changes in the future, which I can't necessarily talk about right now, but um, that's uh, that raising money is is we'll just say it's uh, it, it's going to be out there. Yeah, it's imminent. Yeah. What uh, can you remember your first uh, revenue when you first got a, a yes and a check? <laughs> of course. I mean, I think every I think everybody remembers that. Yeah, no, it was like the happiest day and I couldn't believe it actually happened. It was like, oh, what did I say? What did it, you know, running back the entire thing in my head a million times to try to replicate that. Um, it was pretty interesting because um, we had focused in our business, we had focused on a certain segment. So small to mid-sized manufacturing. Well, due to past relationships, I had developed a, a pretty good relationship with a company that was a, it's a fortune 100 company. And I went to them with this idea, not thinking that they would have any need for it. And they were the, they were the first people to buy. And it was, it was pretty amazing. And that kind of changed my thought process a little bit as well. But um, that was, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a huge day. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was, uh, it was interesting too, because um, that, those, that kind of, those early first couple of customers it was more or less um relationships that i built up either from past experiences or actually on linkedin just reaching out to people on linkedin so i'm a i'm a big linkedin proponent so you built uh you got a few customers allowed you to probably fund some of the development and work and building the SaaS product when do you feel like you started getting some traction on the SaaS side where where you're you know you're getting clients that are coming to you that aren't based on relationships or have you even gotten there yet? I'm curious. Well, I'll say this, we got, we got customers. Um, and then, um, then we started getting feedback about the product. Um, so, and the feedback was goodish, I'll say. So it was, um, we like the concept, the, the product actually needs work, okay, honestly. And so um, they said, let's pump. Well, we came to an agreement with all of our customers and said, hey, we're going to pump the brakes here and go back and make the, the, add the features and make some changes to the product that you, that you like uh, more. And that was 
Mm. What's today's date? That was a few months ago, a month, maybe a, about eight months ago. And so now we're, uh, we're wrapping up that portion of it and we're about to almost release a second version of, of our product. So um, it's almost go time again to start gaining customers, but we've you know, maintained the relationships with our, our current customers and um, that's, that's where we are. So as a growing business, um, have you seen the need to access some C-level talent of your own and uh, but not had the dollars to do it and consider <laughs> fractional as a, as a way to, to get some access to good talent to help you grow? Absolutely. There's um, timing is everything sometimes, but <laughs> you know, uh, my business partner and I, we are not computer engineer, software engineers. We're not uh, technically savvy, even though I've learned quite a bit over the last few years about it. I, I think I know enough to be dangerous or at least talk a little bit of the game, but um, that doesn't help when you need programmers. Um, so to, to answer your question, yes, we've, it's now time. We've used out uh, third-party resources to do the I'd say the bulk of our development, but now it's time that we find uh, somebody that can kind of take over that portion of the business as we're about to release the, the new, the new product. But um, so, yeah, we, we have been looking for a fractional CTO and that process. Again, I had to learn the entire process of how to do that and if people would be even willing to consider that. I didn't necessarily think there was, frankly, I didn't think we had enough to offer people uh, to, to, to go that route when it turns out that there's, there's a lot of people out there that are looking to do that type of, that type. they get charged up by the opportunity, they like to see something grow, there's, uh, they want to be part of something from the from the ground up, and um, I mentioned LinkedIn before, but um, what the way we approached it was we put out a basic JD a job description on LinkedIn and explained exactly where we were at and what stage we were at, and basically all the details of what we were looking for as well. And within the first day, we had forty four applicants. Yeah, so it was. I mean, high level people too. It was, it was pretty, I was amazed by it. I was shocked, but yeah, that's, you know, we've, that's brought a whole nother element to our growth and how I think we're going to move forward. So do you recall when the moment was where you decided you needed to get outside help at that level? Uh, do I remember that? Um, well, we've been considering it for a long time because of the fact that uh, there's a lot of tech that is needed. Let me rephrase that. We needed help with the technical side of the business where, you know, we could, we could get by for a while um, by explanations and working with the product managers at the outside services that we were working with. But when we encountered some challenges 
with them and their process and you know not to get into the details of it too much but we just didn't understand that and we didn't know how to manage it and we you know we weren't able to technically communicate with them correctly and that's when we decided that hey we got to get somebody that knows what the heck they're doing and can not only understand that and find solutions for that but also see the vision of where we would want to try and get to and want to be a part of that so that was boy, that was two months ago so you got to a point where you realized you needed somebody else that understood this area better than you to to manage the teams better than you were you were kind of oh. stuck you were just at yeah. your limit yeah yeah absolutely and, and then what did you do? I'm curious, like, where did you first look? Did you first say, let's throw a job description on LinkedIn? Or did you go to your network? Uh, did you ask around? Like, what was your process for trying to solve this? <laughs> that's a that's another long drawn out answer here. I'll keep it short, though. Um, we had, so I guess the first beginnings of that were within our network of trying to find people and we considered them part of our advisory board and advisors uh, and not that it, that was a, a bad thing but they were we had established relationships with these people and we frankly needed somebody that was fresh and who could come in be brutally honest, take the reins on it and, and run with it where, uh, yeah, we had, we, we decided to go outside of our network to, to try and find somebody like that. So who were, give me an example of some of your advisors that you started with, like accountants and attorneys and, or like customers and uh, vendors. What, what would you consider an advisor at that stage? Uh we had we had a, 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 some of all of that. <laughs> so we had uh, we had an attorney, but we still have these folks as our as part of our advisory board. Some are listed on the website, some aren't. But um, we had, uh, for example, other startup founders. We had that were that had built similar types of products in different industries we had um, supply chain experts that was our basically our ideal type of customer um, we had um, technology partners that or advisors that were they, they were great and super helpful, uh, but um, were also very busy with their own careers. Um, so when you went to those advisors, were you looking for them to refer you somebody or were you looking maybe to find somebody within that group that could fill the gap? Um, we actually utilized them as to help us find somebody. Gotcha. So it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily a, yeah, it wasn't, we didn't look for somebody within their, their group, even though we, 
over the course of the years, we have found people that have been willing to put in so much time. I mean, they, you know, we're, we're pretty, we, we want this person to be like an integral part of the team. And before we just would ask questions and yeah, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't really a role. So um, I'm always curious about these these journeys that someone takes to find a fractional because that's my world. And yeah, for sure. We're trying to always better understand our customers. And although you're not looking for a CMO, you're looking for a CTO, but the process is probably likely very similar. Um, so you went to your network, didn't find any good referrals or thought maybe it was too close. And then you decided to go out further and that, that that's when you went to LinkedIn. Yep. Yep. And uh, did you look anywhere else? Did you go to Indeed or, uh, you know, some of the job boards or did you say, no, nope, we're going to do it LinkedIn? We used LinkedIn as our, our first step and that produced very well. I mean, we had, like I mentioned, we had 44, 43, 44, something like that within the first day. It, <clears throat> excuse me. And I started reaching out to them right away and that was uh that was that seemed to be that gave us a pretty good pool, a really good. Were you pool. looking for what? Did you call it a fractional CTO, or did you call it a part time or a consultant, or what? What were the what are the jobs? Oh boy, say? I I can't remember if we put fractional or part time. I I honestly can't remember if the, the the term that we used. And but I think I think maybe even we just laid it out as far as um, hours per week type thing. Okay, but it wasn't a you were for sure not hiring full time. You were looking Correct. for a part-time Correct. contract uh, and uh, you got 40 some inquiries. What was your ultimate decision criteria? Are you there yet? Have you narrowed oh, down the criteria that you're, you're really weighing to make your final decision? Yeah, actually, you know, not to get into the specifics of that criteria, but generally speaking, we had received, you know, we mentioned the, um, the advisors that, we, that we've had. They gave us some criteria to ask the folks um, that had applied. And it's various things from, you know, just general knowledge type things and work experience and history and what they think they can help us grow and those types of things. But also um, we've had them, uh, the, the, the candidates that have moved on to this stage, which we haven't ultimately made a decision yet, but the candidates that moved onto this stage, we've had them complete a, a technical review as part of uh, the process, and that's that's in process right now. Yeah. So, and that was at the advisement of, of our our network. So, um, but that's going to be we have we have a vision of where we want it to go. We think that they can. Uh, we we want to see how that they how they can, um, in the technical review, help us get there. So that's part of the, the um, excuse me, the decision-making process for us. If you had to pick three criteria that ultimately are most important to you, what, what, would, what would you say that three criteria is? For that particular role? Yeah, for the fractional role. Oh boy. Um, well, they have to be a good person. Yeah. And we have to communicate well. Um, yeah. That's in, in, you're asking about this particular role. 
I've learned over the, the course of four years and working with technical people that that's there's a we speak in a little bit different language. Um, so communication to me is, is massive. Um, if they can explain to me exactly what needs to be done and the vision and how to get there, um, that's that's a that's a that's a, that's probably number one, honestly. Um, communication, they have to be a good person, obviously. Um, their uh, technical skill um, and their um, their dedication to it. I mean, that's that's one place where I'm a little nervous about it because, as you mentioned, fractional. So fractional means they're doing this, they're doing that, they're doing the other thing, and. I have to be able to trust that my well, trust is probably the third thing. So be able to trust that they um, they're dedicated to the, to the mission. Yeah. And you nailed it. I, I asked that question a lot to actual fractional professionals. I say, what are the three criteria you recommend people ask and look for in a fractional? Hmm. Um, and I get a variety of answers, but, but the, the, the cultural fit, which kind of aligns with your good people concept yeah, yeah. Yeah. almost always comes up as a, as a top one for the fractional, because what they've realized is that if that cultural fit isn't there, the engagement doesn't work real well. Um, communication always comes up in some way, shape or form, being able to articulate a vision and communicate and, and work well on across different segments of the leadership team is super important. Um, and then I think trust is one that um, isn't said, but it's, it's, it's certainly implied. Like there has to be this level of trust established. And uh, because this, the fractional professional wants the owner to trust them to execute just as much as they want to trust other members of the team to, to do their part. And that to me, from talking to owners, is the hardest one to overcome is how do I trust that this person's going to really do what they say they're going to do? And, and particularly in marketing, because in marketing, people are, they've been burned so many times by marketers. It's almost like a PTSD situation. And we're coming in and trying to say, no, trust us. We know what we're doing. And I've heard that before. <laughs> so that is- And I didn't, I didn't want to say anything about that, but- <laughs> Yep, yep. It's, uh, I hear it all the time. It's real. And, uh, but so how- how a fractional professional builds that trust is super important and then maintains it, you know, long-term. Yeah. So let me ask you, I mean, so how do you, with your business, how do you um, emphasize that or how do you prove that? Yeah. It's a great question. Um, well, we, we feel that you know, one, we differentiate ourselves from other solutions they may have tried before. Um, so we are as fractional CMOs, we are not an agency. Uh, we don't have anything else to sell. So there's no um, software that we promote. There's no people on our team that we're trying to sell their hours of design and IT or tech or what, you know, copy or video. We are truly a fiduciary partner when we approach an engagement. Uh, so that's one way. We, we, we recognize that agencies, their strategy may be to sell more agency work. And if you represent a very specific tactic, like you're a Google AdWords specialist or an SEO specialist or a social media specialist, you are leading with a tactic. Um, when 
if you're a HubSpot provider or have another specific tech stack, you're, you're there to try to sell the software to, to continue to, to utilize your services. And when we come in, we don't have any of that baggage. So we're a fresh fiduciary look. Um, so that's one way to really differentiate it uh, from our perspective. And um, the other way is we've got a proven process. So we take a lot of the mystery around um, relying on one person and their experience to be successful. We've built a process where all of our CMOs follow a specific framework for how to deliver fractional services um, that doesn't take away their, their expertise and the nuances and, and their decision-making. We don't tell them how to market, but we have a process to deliver the service so that there's weekly scorecard meetings where we're clearly reviewing metrics and we're communicating along the way and there's no surprises. And traditionally marketing, that's, it's not like that. You, you, somebody comes back 60 days later with a deliverable and what doesn't even look like what we talked about. Yeah. So we, we built in a process and we, shared with prospects that you know, you're leaning on both the expertise of a CMO plus the proven process of a team. Um, so that, that helps a lot. And then a lot of the time it's a matter of uh, can, once you get somebody close enough to have that trust and pull the trigger, we're a month to month service. So that's, it takes a little bit of the risk away from a long-term commitment. We have to then prove it out. So then the first 60 to 90 days is super critical for us as an, as an organization to make sure that we clearly understand what the client's expectations are, what the wins are in the 30 and 60 day mark and how we can deliver on that and still do our work, which is building foundational marketing audits and understanding the business, but delivering some results along the way. And if we do that, you know, we, we have a long-term engagement and it works out really well. If we miss any step along the way, then it usually doesn't get to the finish line or we, we don't stay around very long if it does. And I'll be honest, I like what you said about the process because that's, you know, in, in our consideration of not only the, the fractional CTO that I've mentioned, but in, in talking with marketing folks or it doesn't matter who we've talked to, any sort of outside service, um, that's one thing that I've learned over the past few years is if they don't have a proven process that they can execute and deliver on, um, I have a hard time even really talking to them. Yeah. You know, because yeah, you don't know what you're getting. And, and that's, I mean, you could I've be made mistakes. Yeah. I've made mistakes. Trust me. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the CTO space, you know, there's almost any, well, like any C level fractional role there's kind of an assumption they know what they're doing. You kind of assume a little bit that you're sure. a good marketer, a good ID person or, or good here, but you don't know if they're a good person, like you said, and you don't know, you know, if you can trust them to, to, to execute and trust is around, are you going to give me enough of your time? You're fractional. Am I going to get enough? Are you going to be focused on the right things? Are you going to um, truly be there when I need you and prioritize, you know, the urgent matter and, you know, trust takes on a lots of different, uh, meaning when you look at it from a fractional standpoint, it's not just, are you an honest person or trustworthy person? Yeah. It's, uh, and process helps with that trust because yeah. if you have a process built in that you're, you know, in our situation, you're, you're showing a, a deliverable weekly, you're, you've got clear communications, you've got a, uh, you know, a methodology behind delivering your product. You've got a step-by-step -step approach, like all that stuff 
establishes kind of the expectation that you've got a process and then delivery each step of the way builds that trust in the process and in the person. Well, it's interesting when you were talking about uh, our process of finding somebody, mm-hmm. I didn't have a process, but then, then within the first day, I developed a, a small little process that I stuck to, which was, you know, looking for a, a, a fractional CTO. One of the first things without even kind of knowing it and building that trust uh, initially was response time to the email that I sent them that I was interested in talking with them. Yep. And, you know, if somebody didn't respond, obviously they're out, but if somebody responded within the first day or within the first few hours, they were immediately put to the top of the list just because that, you know, we talk about communication. That's a big thing. Um, That went a long way for me to start developing, okay, you know, response time, we're looking for communication, we're looking for trust, we're looking for those couple of, you know, pillars. And those first couple things help. So our process is not clearly defined. It is a little bit in my head of how I would look for somebody uh, in that role. And it has developed obviously over the last two months, but um, that was one of the first things that, uh, was part of it. What were some of your fears or, or still maybe some, some of the things you're afraid about or concerned about when hiring this person? Um, <laughs> this is a, this is a good one. So we've, we've worked with a few outside tech partners and, I'm very, like you mentioned in, in the marketing, in the marketing industry, um, the people kind of say, oh, I've heard that all before. That's not just marketing. That's in development. That's in, it's in anything, sales, marketing, uh, develop, software development. It's in every industry. Um, and that's my, that's my biggest fear is I really don't want to make we have to do our due diligence in order to make the right decision uh, to be able to um, have it be a, a partnership that we want to move forward. I mean, our end goal is to, in 30 years, I'm still working with this person. Yeah. You know, and that would be great. Is that likely? I don't know. But um, based on some of the past stuff, I'm very apprehensive about kind of making this decision, but yeah, so that, that's, that's kind of my biggest fear is that I make the right decision based on experience, based on uh, doing the due diligence around the, the, the correct candidate and understanding that they're, they're a good fit for us. So, and that lies, that lies, sorry. It, I mean, that's on me. So. Yeah, it is on you. But um, yeah, it's it's you're you're definitely doing you're doing a good amount of the right work. It sounds like to to make sure you end up with a good client. That's that's good to hear. And uh, I could only tell you that from my experience, that cultural fit it seems to be the biggest thing that 
the, on the other side that I hear from fractional professionals that makes, there has to be that fractional CTO you hire has to feel as good about being part of your culture as a full-time employee would. Yeah. Even if they're never going to be full-time, they're only going to be X hours a week or, you know, X hours a month or however it looks. If they're not a culture of fit, it, it just, it'll fizzle out and it, it'll slow down. It'll yeah. not feel right. They, and that's, that's the harder one, I think, to really measure and assess for upfront. It's just difficult. Sometimes you don't know those things without the time around somebody long enough, but right. There are things you, you know, there are questions you can ask. There's assessments you can do. You can certainly share your core values as an organization. Like these are our values. Do you align with these? What do these mean to you? Like that's a great way to just try to flush out, at least have a conversation around it. Yeah. And that's a great point. And I left that out. We actually did that in, in one of the, in one of the interviews. So that was um, as part of one of the interviews, but did that help you? Did you screen some people out because of that? Um. Yeah, as a matter of fact, yeah, yeah, that was, I mean, that's a portion of it, but yeah, that had, that was a contributing factor. But um, one of the other, you know, fear, this is, this, sorry to dip back into the last question, but another fear is um, that we, that I've had is based on the fact that the, the fractional person uh, in bundle them in with the technology partners that we've had have been all over the world. And this, uh, this person that we hire at this point, everybody is here in the U S but they're all over the U S and it's, it's doing zoom calls and things like that. Uh, or Google meets or whatever tech we want to use for that. But, um, that's a little bit, I'm apprehensive a little bit about that as well, because we've worked with people, uh, like I said, all over the world in tech, and that is a barrier for us. And that creeps into my mind a little bit as far as uh, how to manage that. But that's a, that's kind of a minor thing, I guess. But Explain that more concern. to me. You're concerned about this person's ability to manage uh global workforce like that or something else i'm just curious what you were getting to there uh sorry um no it's it goes back to maybe our internal communication so i'm not worried about them managing a, a an outsourced team or anything like that if they if they're confident in doing that and have proven that they can do that that's fine that's great um it's more about the trust internally and the communication internally that um, I want to make sure that that's seamless and that that's not a barrier uh, for e either of us. Yeah. And, you know, that's just a, that's just us making sure that that's, that's clear and that there's open communication and that, that there's, you know, there's no need for a concern on that. Yeah, that's good. Are you are you the rest of your team geographically, like leadership team geographically together, or is everybody kind of dispersed on the leadership team as well? Um, for the most part, everybody's close. Yeah, kind of within driving distance. But so is um, this CTO potentially not going to be close then? Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that that's that's the couple. The, the couple of candidates candidates are actually on 
we're right in the middle of the country and they're on both sides of the coast. What we've discovered is um, because we, we are fractional before COVID uh, we were, we were hybrid before COVID um, we've had a virtual organization from day one, Mm -hmm. then COVID came and kind of normalized it for most organizations. But very recently we've realized that we have to create in-person connections with our clients for it to be a healthy long-term relationship. And so we've started mandating across the, the company that all new engagements will start with an in-person. We usually do a, a full day. We do an audit then we do a full day kind of or day and a half foundation session collaborative. And then we do quarterly uh, sprints is how we do it. And we reset yep. every quarter. That's our, that's our cadence. We've mandated across the board that all initial foundation sessions will be in person. And as much as possible, all the quarterlies will be in person, but the, it's not required quarterly, but that first one, we definitely want in person and, and we're encouraging and we hope that most people will adopt the quarterly in person uh, because it's so, there's just so much trust and relationship that's built in person. That's so, that's hard to recreate over yeah. the web. Yeah, no doubt. Um, we've got clients out of the country. That's a hard one to, make that guarantee but we we still yeah. are so we, we are committed to doing that i'm flying to singapore for a, a client kickoff call uh, in a couple of weeks um, to make that connection and uh sounds like fun for me but uh, it's important <laughs> you know because that's and for you as you're looking at candidates and that might be a criteria is are they willing to come visit you on a initial or regular basis i think that would be healthy yeah, well, you mentioned, you know, when COVID kind of kicked off, there was there was that. And a virtual happy hour is a little bit different than a happy hour in person. You can yeah. sit and have a beer with somebody, and if that's your thing, uh, have a beer with somebody and talk to them face-to-face. There's, there's a definite difference there. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thanks for sharing all that with me. It's exciting to learn a little bit more about how somebody's going through the process. Because um, it helps me understand my my client base, my prospecting base. Because a lot of the things you shared are likely the same things, similar to what uh, someone looking for a fractional CMO goes through as well. Yeah, well, who knows? We'll probably need one of those at some point as well. Should should be your first hire, your fractional CMO. So I tell everybody. <laughs> uh, uh, so, uh, what do you like to do for fun? What word did you just say? What do you like to word. do for fun? I, I don't. Yeah. When, when uh, you're spending 20 hours a, a, a day on your uh, business, what's uh, <laughs> what's fun for you? Um, oh, man, I almost had a smart ass answer for you there. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, we're up here. In, I'm up here in Minnesota and. It's going to finally break the 70 degree mark this weekend. And uh, a buddy of mine, we've had a ongoing golf tournament for his birthday, the first weekend in May every year for about 20 years now. And it grew from a 12 guys getting together, going over into Wisconsin for a, for a day of fun. And now we rent out three nines and have 160 golfers that come and it's all sponsored and things like that. So that's this weekend. Um, I like to play golf, but I'm horrible at it. 
as most people are. Uh, there's that, you know, I like, um, there's, there's, I'm a, last weekend I'm a curl. So oh, I was yeah. in a, I was in a, we had our end of the year curling tournament last year or last week. And, uh, yeah. And then, you know, family and friends and, and getting together with them. That's, that's always the best way to blow off some steam and relax and, and do that. I, you know, if every morning I try to, this is a podcast, I'm going to, you know, continue listening to your podcast and, and support that. But there's, there's other podcasts. I really enjoy listening to, um, startup stories and business success stories and motivational stories around business that every morning I, you know, I either exercise or I, I actually take a drive in the car and just drive around and try to <laughs> think about nothing and listen to a podcast about how we can move forward. So tying it all together here, moving yeah. forward. And uh, there's a lot of inspirational stuff out there. There's some pretty smart people out there and I can, I try to learn something new every day. So that's, that's exciting to me. And that's kind of what I do for fun too. Well, I think uh, I can, I can, I can join you in uh, my love of golf. I'm not, I'm also a bad golfer, but I enjoy it quite a bit. I don't get yeah. out as much. I just gave my clubs to my son. So now I have an excuse to go get new clubs, which there might you go. get me in spending a little more time this year. <laughs> um, and there's a handful of us guys in Omaha that uh, curl together. Oh yeah. Been doing that for the last four years. Nice. Uh, and we're not very good at all. Like really not very good, but it's such a fun sport. We really enjoy it. Um, and you'll have to come up to Minnesota for a bond spiel. Actually, yeah, I, we're, we actually just got sponsored by uh Montucky beer. Our team did this year. So <laughs> that's awesome. I would love to do that. We've talked about, we've never done a bond spiel. There's like, uh, you know, there's a bunch of them around, but we've just never done one. So that's, that's, a, that's a goal of mine. Nice. Um, the, uh, the family thing, that's, I think probably share, most people share that, that willingness and to, to have that outlet with your family. Um, but the driving around for an hour, that's interesting. I like to, if, when I can, I found that my, my best morning starts are when I can just get like 15 to 20 minutes in my journal. I do. I don't get it. I try to get it every day. I don't get it every day, but when I can just sit down for 15 or 20 minutes and, and I have a, a pattern, I write down the things I'm grateful for. And, uh, I actually write down my calendar for the day. It just helps me yeah. kind of see what's come on, coming up and puts me in a, you know, for nice baseline perspective and then spend a few more times. And that's such a refreshing start. Uh, kind of clears your head and just gets you in a good place. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, should have mentioned that too. I, the calendar thing, I do that. I do that every morning too. And I actually type it into my phone and put reminders to it and things like that. If I, <laughs> if I remember to do that, but yeah, no, that's, that's totally, uh, that helps with focus for me so much. If I don't get up and, and kind of right away, because I'm sure like you, like with you, your mind is spinning. Like as soon as you wake up in the morning, mine yeah. is. And it's like, okay, if I don't focus and write this stuff down, um, I'm going to be all over the place all day. So that helps definitely. And then just kind of take that either exercise time or driving around time to 
to just kind of, okay, chill. And then when you get back, get after it. So, but Hey, the curling thing, let me ask you this. What yeah. club are you, what club are you part of? Oh, so it's the Xarban curling club. Say again. Uh, so it's Xarban. It's, it's Nebraska spelled backwards backwards. It's been a club for gosh, I think 30, 40 years. It's been around for a long time. Um, but it's the Exarban Curling Club. And Sorry. we've got some good curlers uh, that have been doing this forever. But, yeah. you know, I'm kind of in the bunch of old guys that uh, run businesses that just need to let off some steam and have found this as an interesting way to do it. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so much fun. Yeah, I've been doing it for, gosh, 15 years now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's it's just part of, I mean, it's just, part of life and like part of my routine when it comes to be wintertime, we have, I don't know what your season stretches for, but um, we go from about October until we just finished up. So October until end of April, even though there's yeah. some time between the end of the season and the final launch field. But um, so they, yeah, they do like eight weeks seasons. So like it's about the same like time frame, but it's like they'll do an eight week session, then another eight week, and then another eight week. And I think they used to do three or four. Um, and we'll my team will get at least two of those sessions in um, between us. But the last, I want to say the last year and a half, I don't think we won a game. It's sad. Like. We, when we first started, we, we were doing good. We were winning games and we were figuring things out. And, we, and then we just got worse. <laughs> Joseph, what it is. Joseph, man, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. We always tell people that we're 500, but we're never 500. <laughs> but it's, it's still fun. I mean, we still like doing it, even though we're not winning. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's an interesting game. And for those that have never played it, you just don't understand it. It's because it's just unique uh, experience yeah. getting on the ice and pushing those stones around. And, uh, and, and then when you can play it and then watch the professionals uh, and, and see what they can do. Yeah. Like, Oh my God, it's amazing. Well, so we, we have some uh, pretty high quality. We're, I'm out of the St. Paul Carolyn club in, in St. Paul and it was established in like 1906, I think. And we've had some curlers come through there that are, I mean, world-class. And one of the weeks that I was actually out, a, he was rated the top sweeper in the entire country at the time, subbed in for our team. And we're, oh, <laughs> we're nowhere near that level, <laughs> okay? Nowhere even near that level. Um, in our particular league, we're a C team. So it's like – and our league is not good, but, and everybody would admit that he just happened to be there and subbed in for me. Anyway, he was, you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate this. He was able to seriously manipulate the rock by his sweeping, which was like amazing to my, my other teammates. Like we don't even come close to being able to, manipulate it the way that he was. I mean, we sweep it and get it to go a little bit further or shorter or whatever. Right. He was able to actually, as it's curling, make it curl more, make it less, do all that kind of stuff. So it was, yeah. yeah. So the level is uh, quite a bit different. <laughs> we've had the Olympic curling trials at Omaha 
the last oh. uh, couple of years or a couple uh, four years. Um, so we get some good world class curling that's going on in in that and the Xarban hosts it. Uh, we actually don't have our own club. We we have a uh, like practice ice that uh, is at this at the college local college arena, but um, that's where they held the, the Olympic trials in the arena. They brought in fresh ice, and I always thought it was interesting. People don't know this, but um, there are specialists that make ice for curling. Yeah, like that's their deal, and yeah. they go around the country and they make the ice. Yep. Uh, and there's a special formula. It's not just oh, water. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's fascinating. So you, I wanted to, I, I wasn't in town for the, the curling trial or I wasn't able to volunteer, but they were asked for volunteers. I wanted to be on that ice group. I wanted to learn how to, they were making this specialty ice, but uh, I didn't make it. I didn't get there. Well, it's a unique sport. Um, once you're in, you're kind of hooked. I don't know. I've been do, doing it at actually, a former boss of mine got me into it. Um, and then through weird circumstances, uh, uh, I met the current team that I'm with, um, which is another completely random story, but it was people that I went to junior high, junior high school with that I didn't, I hadn't seen them in a million years. And then turns out they curl and we all got together again. And it was like, old times which is kind of funny but that's awesome um, yeah so it's a good time yeah you'll have to come up come up to the st paul curling club for yeah. the, the bond spiel it's called the hobber dobber come on up the hobber dobber oh right. man it's it's a blast it's a blast you'll be tired afterwards but it's a blast yeah i heard it's a lot of fun <laughs> well good well um it's been great talking to you. I'm glad you joined the podcast. If people want to get uh, in touch with you, uh, reach out about anything they heard or thoughts that might've triggered uh, questions. What's the best way? Yeah. Anything on LinkedIn, Mike Franz, just look me up. Manufacturing power, uh, www.manufacturingpower.com. Uh, my email is Mike at manufacturingpower.com. You can reach out. No problem. Um, those are the, pretty much the best two ways to, to find me. Uh, we're on Twitter as well, MFG Power. Um, there, uh, that's- we'll have, that's all, uh, we'll have all that detail in the show notes so they'll have uh, access yeah. to that easily. So, yeah. um, well, good. So for our listeners, thanks for joining. You learned a little bit about curling today, which is always a fun topic. And um, excited to have you uh, listen to the show and see you next time. Thanks again, Mike. Joseph, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yep. And that's a wrap. There's another successful episode of the Fractional C-Suite Retreat. See our show notes and more episodes at fractionalcsuiteretreat.com. This podcast is sponsored by Your CMO, helping organizations grow, save time and money with better marketing strategy and fractional execution. Visit them at yorcmo.com, yourcmo.com. Spelled wrong on purpose.